episode 14. This is the Inside Deschutes County podcast. It's available everywhere. Subscribe on any podcast platform, Apple, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Listen, rate, and review, hopefully five stars. You can also find us on Deschutes.org slash podcast. Deschutes County is an amazing place to live. Work work and play. Great place to raise a family. I love the weather and the high desert. At Deschutes County, we provide excellent service. Beautiful. We're here to help you. Deschutes County is the heart of Oregon. Everyone wants to be here. This is episode 14 of the Inside Deschutes County podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Eric Brion. We really appreciate the heck out of you for listening to our show. It's hard to believe we are almost to Thanksgiving. And you know what? I am thankful for each of you who have taken some time and listened to our show. It's where we try to get you up to speed on things happening around the county and introduce you to some great people who work here and how they impact our community. Today, our guest, Senior Planner from Community Development, Tanya Saltzman is here. Tanya, thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you believe Thanksgiving is almost here? Um, yes and no. <laughs> I, um, all of a sudden I realized that it's it's in a week and it's I haven't early. done anything. It it's seems early, early this year, right? I but mean, I it's guess that happens, right? <laughs> What happens? The calendar, all that kind of stuff. Do you have any Turkey Day traditions? What is what goes um, on in the Saltzman household? <laughs> well, my father is flying in. He lives in France. Um, oh, so he that's big. he's living his best life over in Paris um, as a retired airline pilot. So he's flying in today, actually, and nice. we will be celebrating with him, which is our tradition. Very cool. Yeah. Do you have any food traditions? What's the... Just a lot of it. Just Um, a lot. I mean, we have a small Thanksgiving. I have a very small family. Most of them are back on the East Coast. Um, But we love to cook and we love to eat. So we have a a spicy Jamaican carrot soup that's always a a hit. Um, It's a food and wine recipe. Just shout out to food and wine. (laughs) It's Nice. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be our sponsor later. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And and this question sparks a lot of debate. Do you... Cranberry sauce? What's the... Yes. Yes or no? Yes. Yay or nay? And not canned. So not the canned. kind that you cook from fresh cranberries, real simple. Sauce. And a bunch of sugar and a little bit of orange just okay. simmered on the stove. And okay. Yeah, that's my... Yams? yams um, I yams. like a sweet potato yam, but this year I don't know if we're going to do that because we don't have enough people. We might just go with regular potatoes. Okay. I haven't, honestly, I haven't thought it through enough yet. I know. This is good preparation, so, fast, so thank right? you. Yeah, you're very welcome. That's what we're here for. We're here to talk about... <laughs> Prep, Thanksgiving prep. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much with Thanksgiving. It's early this year. There's Thanksgiving. But you've got a lot on, speaking of big plates, you've got a lot on your plate when it comes to work. Community development, first of all, for, for people who don't know what that is, the Community Development Department, referred to as CDD, what is it? Because a lot of people, I don't know if everybody knows. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, So CDD encompasses a bunch of departments. So I'm in the planning division. um, And within planning, we have current planning and long-range planning. Um, I'm in the long-range planning division, and I guess we'll we'll talk about this in a minute, but we do sort of larger projects about changing the zoning code, sort of big big policy uh, changes, or maybe there's a state law that we have to implement um, current planning, they deal with that's who you see if you're going in for a permit, a land use permit, and you want to do something with your property and you're asking 
someone, you know, to look at that and review your property. And then they, in turn, work with the building safety division, uh, on-site wastewater, so septic, um, all of our fantastic permit tech department. They just kind of um, shepherd people through the entire process of getting stuff built, um, whether that's an electrical permit or a land use permit or big, you know, if you're a destination resort, you know, all of that stuff follows uh, falls into the, the umbrella of community development. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, and code compliance as, as well. Uh, so do you enforce? Um, so I our mean, code compliance, yeah, that's tricky. A, it is. It's right now, and I'm not an expert on code compliance, but it is complaint-based and it has been for a while. We don't have people kind of driving around looking for for stuff <laughs> that, that's not. Um, and even though I know some people would like us to do that, we just don't have the, the resources. But You're not complaint. out in your car. No, just I mean, <laughs> no, no. I mean, unless there's something really, really egregious, that's like a, a serious safety issue. But in general, it's complaint based. So people reach out to us. They say, oh, I saw this thing that looks illegal or whatever that is. And then our, our code compliance department works on that. How in the world did you get into this? We were talking before we started. You have kind of a journalism yeah. print background. How did you get into code and rules? It's a really and good question. Senate bills yeah, yeah. and you um, know, county commissioners and all that kind right, of stuff. Right, right. Because you're in the middle of all of that. Yes. Yeah. We're in kind of the middle of, yeah, state and local legislation, you know, politics and land use and environmental stuff. And it's kind of a little bit of everything, which is, I think, why I like it. Um, I kind of fell into planning very randomly. I worked um, first in journalism and, and publishing when I lived back in New York City, which is where I'm from, and um, kind of got burnt out. Um, did work for Food and Wine magazine. I will point that out. So okay, that's why I'm giving them the shout out. Okay. <laughs> um, but then I decided I, I really loved kind of urban studies and, and cities and the history of cities and why they are the way they are, especially in a city like New York, which is, just has such an amazing history and layout. And so I went to grad school for that. I just did a 180 and I didn't even know urban planning was a thing that existed because this was quite some time ago. Um, and then I just sort of fell into that type of work. I worked as a consultant back in New York. I worked for the um, a giant university, the City University of New York, which is kind of the main public university in the city, doing a little bit more like facilities planning. So a little bit more on construction and design and planning for, you know, oh, there's going to be a new science building. How many labs do we need? That type of th stuff. So a lot of space planning. Okay. And then I ended up here. Here you are. <laughs> here I am. Bend, Oregon. Yeah. So dad's coming in. Yes. Flying in. Yep. As we speak. And so... When you get around the dinner table and he asks you the question, hey, how's work? What's going on? What's your answer? My answer is that it's it's always very busy. Well, first I ask him how airplanes fly because okay. that it was his career and I still don't understand. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I understand intellectually, but um, always a question. I always have to ask him some, some airplane questions. But um, no, it's good. I mean, community development's always really busy. They We have our kind of fingers in a lot of things. Um, you know, I work on very narrow, narrow things, but my colleagues are doing, they're just really great and they're really good at what they do, whether they're, you know, in the code compliance or, or current planning. They just, and a lot of people, I think, in the community have interacted with a lot of our, our folks. Um, just so we a little have, bit. Just a little, just, just a little. Um, and we hope those experiences are good. Um, but we have a few a few big long range projects um, that we're working on that is taking up much much of my time. So, what project are you going to tell your dad about over um, the dinner table? 
Gosh, I try not to talk about work with him, but um, <laughs> yeah, you probably try to draw. I try that line. to draw the line, um, but I'll probably talk about the current thing that I'm working on, which is about RVs as as rental dwellings. I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that topic because that was my segue to to ask you about that. That's probably the biggest thing going on right now, right? I mean, between that and rural ADUs, yes. RV rental dwellings is kind of your area, right? Can you walk us through? this process, how it came into to being, and why yeah. we're involved in it now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, RVs as rental dwellings, this is basically comes from a Senate bill, a Senate Bill 1013 um, that was passed at the state level in, I believe it was July of this year. Um, so this is now our local process to kind of potentially turn that state law into local code. Um, what it does it is allows um, property owners in certain zones, rural, rural residential, it's very hard to say, um, to allow uh, an RV to be parked on their property subject to a whole bunch of conditions that I'm happy to talk about, um, and someone can live in it. So providing it as a essentially a permanent rental dwelling, the same way you would rent out your house or a room in your house or that type of thing. Um, we have a lot of ways that you can live temporarily in RVs in the county. Um, you know, whether that's for medical hardship or while your house is being built and it's on a vacant lot. But this is a, something that will specifically allow people to live in RVs on properties in unincorporated areas of the county. Um, the rules are very different in cities, um, and I can't really speak to those, but this is a big, a big change in the rural county. Similar to how accessory dwelling units, um, that process was uh, just completed at the county level. That's also a new type of housing, basically, that's going to be allowed in, in the rural county. So is this an effort? <laughs> this could be a couple of things, right? So it, it could help with maybe the houseless issue in, in Deschutes County. Is it, it could also be income for people. Yep. Is, uh, so what is the, the – that could probably be a little tricky, too, because you're trying to navigate some of those things, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really – something that we're kind of – turning around in our collective heads um, who this who this will help. Um, I you know the way the rules work at the state level right now is a property owner has to live on their in their primary dwelling. So in their main house it has to be owner occupied. So they're there. Um, and they have to provide some improvements to their property to allow for these RVs. So they're basically building a mini RV park, although on a very, very small scale. So they have to provide uh, wastewater disposal and electric and uh, drainage and things like that. And um, essentially what we're envisioning is like a, a pedestal, the same way it would be in an RV park, but it's at someone's home. Um, so that incurs some cost. Um, you can't just drive up an RV and then live in it. There's definitely some infrastructure that has to be built in. Um, and then in theory, that property owner charges rent to someone who lives in the RV. So I don't know if that will necessarily address the homeless population because they, it does involve some rent. I don't know. It's possible it could. Um, or it could help with the total opposite end of the spectrum. People and uh, someone was just speaking to me about this snowbirds, someone who just wants yeah. to live in their really fancy RV, um, assuming it meets all the criteria. Um you know, just for the summer or the winter or, or what, I guess not the winter if there's no birds. <laughs> but, you know, just a seasonal thing and they want to live at their, I don't know, it's maybe a family member's house or something like that. So there's a lot of scenarios and we're not completely sure who who might be interested. And that's what the public process is about a lot. 
Yeah, it's really hard, right? Because yeah. you can, everybody can find a reason not to do something. Yes. I, I, and and good reasons to do something, which you've laid out a few of those. Um, how do you navigate some of the, I mean, because I'm imagining, I, I own an RV, so I'm imagining they need, you know, 30 amp or 50 amp or, you know, place for gray water, exactly. place for black water, you know, the maybe maybe some trash requirements too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're, now you're developing or creating more. So, boy, I mean, making those, putting all those things into place, everybody's RV is different too. Exactly. And the nuances. So how do you, how do you, how do you navigate all these? That's a very good question. Um, I mean, as you're far like, as I haven't, the, Eric, uh, yeah, I have no we're working idea. On it. Um, we're getting there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> as far as kind of the electric and the that stuff, I mean, that's all through our regular permitting process. So you have to get electrical permits. You have to get an inspection from our, our on-site wastewater people. So those would have to be to the specs that are required. Um, I don't dive into that nitty-gritty necessarily, but, you know, that all has to be to code. And um, we have to make sure that people will dispose of their wastewater correctly. We don't, you know, we know there's people living illegally in RVs all over the county who are just dumping their wastewater wherever, um, or not using, or maybe their, their RV doesn't have those facilities. So, you know, the, the idea is to have this a legal, a legal way to do this. That's to code. That's not going to damage the, the environment around it. Um, so yeah, that's how we're starting to navigate it by putting in these, these, you know, some of it is required by the state, these requirements. Um, we're looking at other requirements. There might be issues of compatibility. We've heard so far, some people don't want to see this next door to them. Um, you know, so maybe we might have some sort of setback. So it has to be a certain distance from the property line or things like that. So we're, we're kind of, our doors are open right now to people, you know, voicing their concerns to say, oh my gosh, I really hate this because reasons, or I love this so much because it'll provide me additional income. And, you know, so we're, we're an open book right now and we're trying to figure this out. And And there's ways for people to get involved and give their opinions about this, right? Where are we at in that process? Yeah, no. Um, so we just had our first public hearing with the planning commission, um, last, uh, Thursday, which was November 9th. Um, and that is going to be continued on to December 14th. That's also a Thursday. Um, those are held in the evenings. Um, and this is all in front of the planning commission, which is sort of the first, the first wave of hearings in the legislative process at the county. Um, once the planning commission receives all the testimony and deliberates and they make a recommendation to the board of county commissioners, and then there's a whole nother hearing process with the board. So people can participate in one or both of those hearings, either with the planning commission or the board or both. They can write to me, um, and I can provide you obviously my contact information and we put people's emails into the public record. They're available on the web. So that becomes part of the record that the planning commission or the board uh, reads and considers when they're looking at their oh, deciding what to do. People can also come to the public hearing, um, either virtually or in person, and and say what they think. Um, so there's lots of ways to be involved still. The website deschutes.org/rvamendments. That's correct. Is where you can read up on this and mm-hmm. find out the ways to participate. I want to make sure I snuck that in there. <laughs> Thank you. And we'll sneak it in again at yeah. the end. But. Um, what are some of the biggest things that people are concerned about? You said people living next door. Is it is it blight? Is that kind of what the a lot of the concern, or is the concern about, you know, maybe restrictions? Does it have to be a certain type RV? 
does it have to be certain years? Like, right, you know, right. sometimes you can go to an RV park and you can't, you can't park it for long term at an RV park if it's, you know, 25 years old. Right. So things, things along those lines, do you have, what, what are you hearing in terms of what's keeping, yeah. I guess, sparking the conversation? Yeah, I mean, so far, and we've had about a dozen people speak at the public hearing and then probably another dozen write in, maybe a little less than that. I think people cited property values going down as a uh, reason to oppose. And I assume, you know, just uh, extending that thought, I assume that just means issues of com- compatibility and visual, you know, uh, it's affecting the rural character in people's opinions, I think, um, by seeing these RVs. Uh, we don't have restrictions on how old it can be, although it does have to have to meet the definition of RV in the statute, the state statute includes some fire certification standards, so it has to meet those or be self-certified. So there are some kind of checks and balances to what what you could have there. Um, you know, some people conversely thought that this would be a help to their property values because they're providing, you know, they're creating improvements. You know, they have to create this RV pad. Um, we want to have a surface where they can, uh, you know, it's gravel or concrete or asphalt, I believe. So you can't just kind of park it in the woods. Um, you want to make sure it's stable. And you, this this pedestal with all the services, you are making improvements to your property. So that could potentially increase the value. Yeah. A lot, and a lot of people in this area have RVs. Right. So maybe this, I mean, just provides more opportunity, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does provide the opportunity to be a landlord um, if you want that to do that. You know, it is a little bit of investment to get that infrastructure up and running and permitted, but it does have potential to provide income or, you know, in the, in the process for the rural ADUs, we had a lot of people saying, you know, I want a place for my recent college graduate kid to live where they're, while they're figuring stuff out, they can't afford to buy a house. Um, this might be a good interim. So family members, I think would be an interesting audience for this, um, that people might be interested in, in providing this opportunity for them. So I, there's a lot of different kinds of RVs. I know we talked about mm-hmm. years and, you know, kind of what the, you know, what the RV looks like and what it, what it has available. But there's, you know, there's a, there's a pickup camper, there's a, a motorhome, there's a trailer, there's a, you know, does a pop-up camper qualify? You know, I mean, like all of those, what are, is it anything and everything? No. And this is something that we have struggled with a decent amount because there's so many different definitions floating out there and they all kind of reference each other. <laughs> um, Adventure vans and yeah, all of those things too. Yeah. I mean, the way it has to be, um, I believe, titled or licensed um, by the Department of Transportation or it can be a park model. And these are defined in statute. Um, and usually that has to do with um, the size and uh, the the fact that it is mobile. It's not rendered immobile. So you can't have it like up on blocks with the wheels off. It has to be able to drive away if you if you have to. Um, obviously, it's connected to stuff. but um, And it has to have, well, one of the things that we're considering requiring, and this is not necessarily in the definition of an RV, and I'm getting a little bit in the weeds, but for the purposes of these this code uh, amendment, we are playing with the idea of requiring the RV to have a toilet and a sink in it. Um, so in other words, a van, just a regular van, would probably not would not count. Um, even okay. though it might be titled uh, or licensed as an RV as far as the state goes, we want to have this additional um, 
this additional requirement. And that came from a bunch of people in our own staff saying that if the purpose of this, if this legislation is to provide housing for people, for dwellings, for people who might not be able to, you want them to have a, a proper dwelling. You don't want them to have to go pee in the woods, right. <laughs> basically. Right. Um, you want them to have, you know, reasonable sanitary um, services or, and and amenities so that they can conduct their lives as a as people want to conduct their lives and become a productive medicine. So uh, many nuances. Yeah, there's a million nuances. So many nuances. I mean, because you've got, you know, the the portable, you know, the cartridges you can basically take and dispose of too. And so those, you know, it's just so many different things. Yeah. And this is kind of going on parallel to the conversation about rural ADUs. I know mm-hmm. this is not totally in your wheelhouse, but I know that you've been involved in that. Yeah. Are there any similarities kind of with the RV rental dwellings and the rural ADUs? Because I believe that starts, people can start applying applying for permits December 1st, I think. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So rural ADUs um, has been in the hopper for a while. Um, That legislation was passed at the state level um, a couple years ago. And yeah, so it just finally completed the process here locally in Deschutes County. And like you said, um, applications are going to be accepted starting in December 1st. And we already have a ton of people inquiring. Um, There are definitely some similarities. I think the purpose of both is to provide another type of housing, some alternative to a big single family dwelling. Um, We know that it's really hard to find housing here in Central Oregon, whether that's renting or buying. So these, these, both of these are meant to provide a slightly different kind of housing. Maybe it's a little smaller. Maybe it's not as fancy. Or, you know, we have a ton of people who work at all of our fabulous businesses here and they need places to live. They might not be able to buy the expensive house that's in Bend. So these are just meant to provide alternatives to the traditional single-family home. Um, so that's the biggest similarity. Um, one of the main differences, you know, obviously an ADU is a permanent dwelling that you have to build and get building permits and all of that. So that's a little bit more complicated. Um RVs are complicated, as we just discussed, in a different way because, you know, what is an RV? What's the plumbing situation? What, you know, that takes so many shapes and sizes. Um, with ADUs, there's a minimum lot size um, that's baked into the state law, um, and that is not baked into the state law for RVs. Um, we are, we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, so the state law uh, for ADUs was a two-acre minimum, and this is all in rural residential areas, so not EFU, which is farm and not the forest zones either. Um, the Oregon state land use system keeps those really kind of tightly regulated, the farm and forest, because that's kind of the the heart and soul of, of the Oregon land use system, essentially. Um, so for ADUs, the state requirement was two acres or more. Um, the way ultimately our regulations locally shook out was it was two acres in everywhere except for certain areas of South County that have groundwater issues already. Um, people who try to get kind of their septics uh, improved down there, they know that it's it's a it's a different situation there. The groundwater is more compromised, um, and the water table is higher. So they have to have a five acre minimum. So you have to have a lot more space to have an ADU there. I imagine not everybody completely happy about the two versus five, and yeah, like. Hey, why why South County? Why are you picking on South County? Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. I mean, there's been and I our our wastewater manager Todd Cleveland he he could speak to you better than I can. But you know, there's 
it's a different situation down there in terms of water quality and the the danger of uh, I believe it's nitrate loading, um, just because of the geogra- uh, geology of of South County. And there's a designated area. There's been studies um, that show this this kind of compromised area. So that was the reason behind it. It just can't support that density of that many more septics and that much more water kind of going into the into the system down there. So that's it's based on a bunch of studies, and that's how those those uh, lines were drawn. But yeah, uh, people. We're not necessarily super psyched about it, um, but some people are. You know, some it's well. You did your homework. Yeah, on it. it's yeah. not like you just randomly said, "Hey, right here, we're going to just no, do five no. and this here is a, over two. A very well thought out, calculated. You know, um, based on scientific evidence and There's people not. who know things about wastewater could speak better to it than I can. But yeah, what about people who? And maybe you have this answer, maybe you don't. But if maybe they own one point seven acres of land and they want to do this, is there an application process? Like, can they appeal? Can they, can you work with them? What's the, what, you know, I would have to defer that to my, my current planning colleagues, but in general, two acres is two acres. Um, Two acres is two acres. You know, there's, it's, it's just based on how much that soil can absorb things. So, you know, there has to be a line and it has to be kind of enforced. Yeah, yeah, that's a little. That's the rules. It's tough. Yeah, that's I mean, it's rules. unfortunate if you're at one point nine nine. But yeah, that's a, that, yeah, that would be a bummer. Yeah. So the difference is with RVs that there is no minimum baked into the state law. We are toying with a one acre minimum um, throughout the county. This is just our first our first blush. Um, we don't know where that's going to land, but that's what our first draft is is at. And we have we received some support on that in our public hearings so far. So, so when you got into this job, I'm here with Tanya Saltzman, senior planner with Community Development. When you got into this job, I imagine you weren't thinking that they were going to be maybe as controversial as some of these are. So how do you how do you deal with the the controversy of some of these things, or do you just give them the answers and that's the answer? Well, you know, yeah, I did not realize that things would be so controversial. Um, you know, we have a really sophisticated populace here and people really, and I'd love that. I mean, I think I want people to be involved and people are involved and that's what we want. And, you know, people pay attention. Um, we are not lacking. Which is good. Yes, 100%. Engaged. Uh, they're community. very engaged. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of rural counties where there's just not that that energy. Um, it's also maybe a smaller population, but, you know, we're really fortunate to have people who pay attention to this stuff because it's important. Um, you know, our job, my job, is to facilitate a good process. So I'm kind of the neutral person in this, just making this procedure happen. Um, you know, I have my own opinions about some of this stuff. I, that's not my job to voice them necessarily. Um, I just want to make sure that the, the people are heard, that they get their voices heard, that the planning commission and the board listens to them and takes, you know, their thoughts into consideration and that, you know, we affect a good process. And that's that's kind of our job as planners to make sure that runs smoothly and people feel listened to and that the board and the planning commission have the information they need to make a decision. And that process is in place. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so in, any big, besides RVs, besides r- rural ADUs, are there any big projects that maybe you can peel back the curtain a little bit that you might be working on in the horizon, um, Well, I turn w- into the new year, we're, you know, yeah. what controversy is coming our oh, way, gosh. Tanya, come no, on, um, well, inquiring minds. <laughs> uh, well, we are wrapping up 
well, not wrapping up, but on the sort of sunset of our comprehensive plan, and I think you maybe have already spoken to Nicole Mardell, our other senior planner. Not yet, but oh, she's, not yet. On, my, okay. she's on my list. I will tell her to call you. Yeah. <laughs> but the comprehensive plan is a huge, huge... It's, so it's 2040. Exactly, exactly. So that's a huge project. Um, it recently had planning commission hearings, so it's in sort of a similar place time-wise as RVs, but I imagine it'll take a little longer because it's so huge. just talks about goals and policies for the entire the entire rural county having to do with everything, you know, whether it's historic resources or wildlife or transportation, it's all the stuff in one big document. So that's a biggie. That's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Nicole's doing a great job. Um, it's a lot of public outreach. Hopefully people have heard us, um, you know, with having open houses and meetings and websites and all of that stuff. That's like... They've yeah. even had open houses in barns. Oh, Yeah. They are the, I mean, they'll no do them anywhere. Unter- they, yep. will, they will come to you. I think that might be over now, but maybe if you ask nicely, you could get another open house. Um, <laughs> See what we can do about Yeah, that. I mean, we they went people. out to Brothers. Um, you know, they, they really want everybody, not just kind of, we have a core group of regulars who are engaged, who are fabulous, but we want to, for something like a comprehensive plan, just really touch all corners of the county. What else do you want people to know about your job, your team? The work you do that maybe they, they don't know. That's what it? would you tell dad at the dinner table? <laughs> More oh. wine, please. <laughs> That's what I would say. No, no. It's, I mean, it's, you know, I know that people don't, it can be frustrating for people walking into the counter who want to just do what they want to do with their property. And I totally get it. Um, I think we, we exist not to be a barrier whether it's the building department or us or, you know, we're trying to facilitate to help people get to their goals. It's not always easy. Sometimes people's goals don't align with the law <laughs> um, and we have to we have to do that. But I know that especially my colleagues in current planning, they work really hard to – I mean, they know people in the county. People have relationships at this point and they just really work hard to facilitate, you know, people getting what they want to get done within the confines of – you know, the laws and the rules that we have. So it's and, not always easy. And county but, versus city versus, yeah. I mean, that's probably a big ex, ex, thing you have to explain a lot probably yes. too, right? Yeah, we got some people um, who are in the city of Bend, for instance, and, you know, they have their own zoning code, their own community development department, um, different set of rules. Um, so sometimes we have to redirect people that way. Complicated stuff, Tanya. Yeah, it All is. things you will not talk about <laughs> at Thanksgiving dinner with dad and the Jamaican soup. Jamaican spicy carrot soup. What, what is in it's, that? It's very easy. Um, carrots and onions mostly and then a scotch bonnet pepper, some nice. thyme, some chicken broth, and then you puree it all. It's delicious. So if you want the recipe... It's on foodandwine.com. Or reach out directly to Tanya <laughs> Saltzman me. at we can talk County about Community sewers Development. Or, or soup. Sewers, RVs, I'm there for whatever. for whatever people need. You've got it all. <laughs> Tanya Saltzman, Senior Planner with Community Development. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Well, lots of good information on this podcast. Lots to digest. We even digested some food <laughs> information on this podcast. We are pro-Cranberry, I guess. If you have questions about the Community Development Department, you can go to deschutes.org cdd. Or if you have specific questions about the RV rental dwellings, you can go to deschutes.org RV amendments. December 14th, next hearing on RVs. December 1st is when you can start applying for the rural ADUs. So keep those dates in mind. 
If you have a question about this podcast or ideas for future podcasts, you can email us at info at And remember to subscribe to the Inside Deschutes County podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Drop us a review, drop us a rating. Really appreciate it. But until next time, be safe out there and happy Thanksgiving.